0: That's one of my all-time (laughs) favourites, that song. (laughs) Absolutely. And there's tremendous comfort in that song and there's tremendous comfort in the text that I'm about to read. Today's theme is Life in the Spirit and the Bible reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body... God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated By the sinful nature, think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. But the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, And it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So that even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. Yes. (laughs) Over to Pastor Steen.
1: Thanks, Georgie. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for everything you've done for us in Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you may stop us from thinking that somehow we need to add to that or that somehow we only need your help when we feel we've done all that we can do. Help us to live in your spirit so that your spirit may live in us and shape our lives to be more and more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. God did not give us his law in order to make us good. What do you reckon? Is that a true statement or is that a not a true statement? Tell the person next to you what you think. Or if you don't have anyone next to you, sort of talk to yourself. It's all right, Georgie. (laughs) What do you reckon? Is that a true statement or is that not a true statement? God did not give us his law in order to make us good. So what's the consensus? True or false? True, false, right, good. We're divided, I like that. (laughs) I think that's good. I'm going to tell you this morning that that's a true statement. That God did not give us his law in order to make us good. In fact, God did not even give us his law to convince us that we need a bit of help to be good. In fact, God gave us his law in order to make us humble. See, we've got this problem. And I think one of the, ones, one of the best descriptions we have of this problem that we all have is found in the previous chapter to this one, in St Paul's letter to the Romans, in Romans chapter 7. Uh, Let me read to you a slab of what Paul says there, and I'm going to use a slightly different translation here, well, not a slightly different, a different translation here uh, to the one we heard from earlier, but that's a good thing because we hear it slightly different, and that maybe helps us also to think it through a bit better. Paul says this is his problem. See if you can identify with him. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you ever felt like that? I know I have. I just wish I could have expressed it as well as Paul does here. Or do you think perhaps that if only you had more faith, if only you were more committed, if only you tried harder, then you'd be able to do all the good that you want to do. We look at it that way, we're looking in the wrong direction. Rather, St Paul wants us to look to Jesus and to the spirit that he's given us so that we may focus on the life in the Spirit. Because the church is a hospital for sinners, not a finishing school for saints. Sometimes when we focus on discipleship, and that's a good thing to do, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. We have a whole lot of things that we need to do. You know, every day or every week when I was working, uh, I had... Uh, a fridge magnet, uh, you know, sitting on a filing cabinet in my office that had a list of seven things that we all need to do. Uh, I left it there for Stephen Schultz. Not because he needed it, but because I thought it might as well annoy him as it annoyed me. I think he's been with you recently, hasn't he? But the point here is that these by the way are all good things they're not bad things but they're good things they're helpful things they benefit us and they benefit others but when we try to do them as though they were a law that we had to obey then they can very easily damage our relationship with god because it's a very small step to start thinking that God smiles on us when we do these things and frowns on us when we don't do those things and that makes our relationship with God based on our performance makes it performance based if you like in other words our relationship with God is good when we perform but it's bad when we don't I've been a pastor for a very long time and quarter of a century or so i've been a pastor who because of the roles he had uh, has been in many different places and preached in many different congregations and i'm just shocked at how many people i've met over the years who've grown up all their lives in the lutheran church who somehow always feel guilty who somehow always feel as though they're displeasing god who somehow always feel ashamed. And when you feel that way, you don't step out in faith and do anything at all, do you really? In fact, it kind of turns God into your enemy. It ends up as a battle with God and it's a battle you can never win. It's a battle that you can't ever do. If you set God up in that sort of a relationship and treat him as though he's somebody that you have to please all the time, you're going to find that you fail constantly. You're going to find that you never live up to it. You're going to find yourself thinking that God must be disappointed with you, if not nearly, if not all the time, then at least nearly all the time. And what's probably even worse is there going to be times when you're going to think that God must be super pleased with you because you're doing so well, <laughs> right? And so we come to worship in the church thinking that that's going to help us do better. We seem to think the church is like a finishing school for saints that keeps improving us and making us better and better. But you see, the law of God was never meant to lead us to perfection. Right? The law of God was never meant to lead us to perfection. Paul, oh sorry, Paul, Luther, yeah, a bit after Paul. Luther said that the law is our schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. Right? The law is like a schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. Because the law continually accuses us and shows us that even our best efforts fail. Think of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, right? You've said, you heard it said, you must not kill. But I tell you, everyone who hates his brother or sister, and so on. What's Jesus doing there? Why, he's sharpening the Ten Commandments to make it plain that we can never, ever fulfil them. We can never, ever get it all right. And so we don't just need a little bit of fine-tuning, a little bit of help every now and again, or some improvement here or there. Our human nature is fatally flawed, and we just can't help ourselves And the law of God shows us that. It exposes not only our wrong actions and the things that we don't do that we should do, but it also exposes our motives, our attitudes, what drives us. In fact, one of the signs that someone is maturing as a Christian is that they come to understand themselves as not just somebody who does something wrong every now and again, but as somebody whose wiring is wrong, (laughs) if you can put it that way, right? As somebody who has this deep desire and drivenness about them that leads them again and again to even do good things with sort of half bad motives, you know? I don't mind helping you, so long as everybody else notices. Oh no, I'd never admit that of course but somehow that lives within us and as we mature as Christians we come to see how deep and destructive and how utterly hopeless is our predicament the law of God is therefore doing its work in our lives if we conclude that we must try harder to solve this dilemma then we miss the point and likewise, if we think that therefore we're always going to live under guilt and shame and condemnation, we miss the point. Because Paul says in our text, and that's how it begins, is it not, that there is now no condemnation for those who live in the Spirit and that we've been set free from the law of sin and death. The law of God Is an important power of God, but it doesn't make us good. Rather, it drives us to the point of humility and surrender. Not to sin that is at work in us. No, we don't surrender to sin, but to the Spirit's work in our lives. And so, this is what Paul says in our text. Can we read it together? Is that all right? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to deal with sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. But there's no condemnation but that doesn't mean that we've overcome sin. In fact, we can't overcome sin in our lives, not in this world, no matter how hard we try or how many commitments we make to do so. The law is going to humble us again and again. And that's the point. Not only can't we do it, we don't need to try. It's been done for us. Jesus suffered and died for our sin. And so you've got nothing to prove and no one to impress. Jesus has done it all for you. Paul then directs our thinking away from the law and rather to the Holy Spirit. Once again, let's read this together. God did this So that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Right? God did this. God is doing something in our lives. And He says that the requirement of the law, of course, is just. It's the law of God. So, how is it fulfilled in our lives? By us trying harder. By us somehow committing ourselves? No. By us walking not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Whatever good we do, that's really good, and good here is defined as fitting in with God's purposes and God's plan for us and for our world. Whatever good we do is because the spirit lives within us. Even that, because of sin, is going to be tainted. And so we may not be particularly conscious of the Spirit working in our lives. But we may not be particularly aware of it. In fact, as I said before, as we mature as Christians, we may actually become more and more aware of our weakness and sin and our failings. After all, in the Bible... The only bunch of people who really thought they had it all together was who? The Pharisees. And who wants to be one of them? By the way, they were the good church people of the day, but we won't say that, right? (laughs) The Pharisees thought they had it all together. Too many Christians seem to carry one of these things in their pockets, not quite like this, but one that takes their spiritual temperature, right, and tells them how good they're doing. And so they take their spiritual temperature and say, hey, oh, you know, 36.5, that's average, I presume. Otherwise it wouldn't be up there. (laughs) I want to encourage you to throw that thermometer away. To not live your lives constantly taking your spiritual temperature and saying, hey, I'm doing well, or hey, I'm not doing so well. Because you won't get it right anyway, and only God knows at the end of the day. And God doesn't intend you to live that way. Right? It's good to take your pulse every now and again just to make sure your heart is beating. Right? Some things are good to check up on. I read the, the death notices in the paper every Saturday just to make sure I'm not listed. You know, maybe I missed the men, memo or something or other. But I don't know how I'm doing, or how well the Spirit is working in my life, or how well Jesus is being formed in my life. Most of the time, I'm conscious of the things that are not going right. And I don't need to know, because that's God's business. What I need to know. Is that I live under the promises of God, that I live in the grace of God, that I'm forgiven even before I sin. Sometimes we get this weird idea that we only get forgiven when we sin, when we confess. Right? Luther had that idea, nearly drove him mad. You had to confess everything. No, we're forgiven even before we sin. God has already set us free because Jesus has already died on the cross for us. And so we live in that. We rejoice in that. It doesn't make us careless. It doesn't make us rude or nasty or whatever else. It makes us humble because we live in the grace of God. And in faith, we know that God is at work through his spirit in our lives even without taking the temperature, even without knowing how it's going. After all, didn't Paul say in another place, Galatians 5, he's contrasting the fruit of the Spirit with the works of the flesh, which he's already described, and he says, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit, or let us also walk by the Spirit. That's the life that the Spirit of God is forming in you. And you don't need a spiritual thermometer to see how it's going. Again, that's God's business. This is how Paul puts it in our text. And once again, let's read it together. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. That's your birthright in baptism. That's what God promised you when he made you his child. And you're going to remain both a sinner and a saint while you live on this world. And you won't be able to fix the sinner any more than you're able to correct the saint or create the saint, I'm sorry, not correct the saint, you won't be able to fix the sinner part any more than you're able to create saintliness within you. And so how do we live? We celebrate God's forgiveness and we let the Spirit do his work. And so enjoy the life of the Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Help us not to try to do what you've already done. Help us not to think somehow we can get our life together in an order, but help us to just relax and let go and enjoy our life as your children, because you not only have done everything that needs to be done, but continue to live and work in us as we walk in your Spirit. Help us, Lord, to simply focus on what jesus has done for us in thankfulness and praise and in worship as we live our lives in this world and to leave the rest to you in jesus name amen please stand as you're able as we join in our next song